This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org. This weekend on America's Roundtable, we're delighted to host Ellie Kohanim, who served as U.S. Deputy Special Envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism at the U.S. Department of State under the Trump administration. Ms. Kohanim is a renowned figure in the fight against global anti-Semitism. She's an expert on Iran, Israel, the Middle East, the Abraham Accords, and U.S. foreign policy. We welcome to America's Roundtable, Ellie Kohanim. Welcome, Ellie. Hi, good morning. Ellie, you were born in Iran, and your Jewish family had to flee Iran in 1978. A U.S. State Department designated Iran as a state sponsor of terrorism on January 19, 1984. And you recently said that preventing Iran from obtaining nuclear weapons is one of the hallmarks of Trump administration's fight to combat anti-Semitism. You also shared about Iran's obsessive hatred toward the Jewish state, and you said where they daily call for the elimination of Israel, they deny the Holocaust ever took place. They fund Hezbollah and Hamas and the Houthis in Yemen. All of this activity is geared toward one thing, which is their genocidal fantasy with eliminating the Jewish state of Israel. Ellie, America has kept strict sanctions on Iran until Obama led Iran nuclear deal in 2015 when administration released $1.7 billion to Iran. Now, Biden administration is returning to the table with Iran in hopes of revising a deal. Ellie, how can we trust Iran's authoritarian regime, which has breached previously signed nuclear deals, continues to be a state sponsor of terrorism, and is on the mission to enrich uranium, which can potentially be used as a nuclear weapon? Natasha, you know, everything you just said is just so spot on. And the quick answer to your question is we can't trust Iran. We can't trust the Iranian regime, to be more exact. And, and it's for the reasons that you just outlined. Number one, um, I was the State Department's envoy for anti-Semitism. And in that role, um, we actually designated Iran as the number one state sponsor of anti-Semitism. And so what that means is that it's the combination of the fact that as state policy from the supreme leader, the Ayatollah Khamenei on down, deny the Holocaust. They even go so far as to uh, make fun of the Holocaust by holding an annual Holocaust cartoon competition where they give prize cash money to participants, just as we are marking International Holocaust Remembrance, Yom HaShoah in Israel. One facet of their anti-Semitism is their Holocaust denial as state policy. The second, of course, is their on-the-record desire to, quote, eliminate Israel. And so you've got the Ayatollah Khamenei taking to Twitter with a 14-step plan to eliminate Israel and calling for Israel's destruction on a daily basis. You know, they chant death to Israel and death to America all the time. And then the third 
factor is their proxy activity. Now, their proxy activity has caused tremendous civilian deaths all across the Middle East, North Africa region. But on their obsession with the Jews in Israel, you know, they have this proxy activity where they're funding Hamas and Hezbollah in Gaza and Lebanon on Israel's borders. And now we're also seeing all this activity in Syria with the Iranian military presence in Syria. And so all of this combined together really reveals that the regime's anti-Semitism is part and parcel of their ideology. It motivates everything that they do. And so that's one thing to understand about the regime. But the other aspect of the regime is also their heinous human rights violations. I just took to the airwaves, I wrote this op-ed in National Review just this week, Natasha, speaking about Iran's vast system of human rights abuses, which most recently came out more obviously in the fact that in the recent wave of street protests, where millions of Iranians took to the streets to protest this government, the regime took this unprecedented, brutal step of using live ammunition and left 1,500 people dead and over 7,000 people wounded and went on to detain over 20,000 others in their prisons. So the bottom line, Natasha, this regime, to understand its character, is it's evil. It's an evil regime, and it has proven over and again that it will lie, cheat, and steal. So there's no way that the United States and Western powers should trust this regime. Ellie, this past week on Thursday, April 8, 2021, millions took time to commemorate Holocaust Remembrance Day. And it certainly marks the anniversary of the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. And we remember and honor the six million Jews who were killed by the Nazi regime and uh, the pro-Nazi regimes in Eastern Europe as well during World War II. On September 16, 2020, the Conference on Jewish Material Claims Against Germany announced the release of the U.S. Millennial Holocaust Knowledge and Awareness Survey, the first ever 50-state survey on Holocaust knowledge among millennials and Generation Z. The study reported that 60% of all national survey respondents do not know that 6 million Jews were murdered and 36% thought that 2 million or fewer Jews were killed during the Holocaust. Additionally, although there were more than 40,000 camps and ghettos in Europe during during the Holocaust, 48% of national survey correspondents cannot name a single one. On America's Roundtable, we also noted the study presented by the University of Maryland in late 2019 that reported an astounding 48% of Democrats who knew about the boycott, divestment, sanctions movement targeting Israel were supportive of the anti-Semitic scheme, which affects both Arabs and Jews, specifically those living in the Judea and Samaria region, the biblical heartland of the land of Israel. The number, I'm a state for Republicans, was at a lower percentage at 10% supportive of BDS. Ellie, what are your observations when we notice these glaring statistics revealing that a growing demographic group in America is not even aware of the Holocaust and that one political party in America influenced by the radical left, some 50% are supportive of the anti-Semitic BDS movement targeting Jews and the sovereign state of Israel. Joel, those are very worrying trends. And I'll tell you something. From my perspective, anti-Semitism is not a Jewish problem, and it should not be perceived as a Jewish problem. And I'll tell you why. In history, whenever you look back in history, 
every country where anti-Semitism and hatred of Jews has been allowed to flourish, at the end, the entire society winds up suffering and paying the price for it. And so if you look back, for example, at the Spanish Inquisition, well, the King of Spain in recent years has gone on the record and said that he believes that that was the beginning of the end of Spain. And it was, you know, it was the decline of Spain began with that, that hatred of the Jews. And then, you know, you move on to the Holocaust, which you just asked me, you know, how is it possible that all these young people don't even know that the Holocaust happened? Well, if you look at the Holocaust and the destruction and devastation of the entire continent of Europe, there was the 6 million Jews that were murdered, but then there were the 11 million non-Jews, right? And so if you think about all the devastation that took place because no one stopped Hitler and no one stopped the Nazis when they could have, and just imagine how different history could have played out if people had stood up to that uh, anti-Semitism. So, um, so I always say that anti-Semitism is a societal problem and everyone needs to pay attention when they see anti-Semitism around them because what it means is that there's a sickness in that society and it's in everybody's best interest to address it and to fight it right away. And so the fact that young people in America, and I, and I believe those numbers are worldwide too, the fact that young people today know less and less about the Holocaust is very alarming. Number one, because uh, how can we forget the memory of the 6 million Jews? But also it's alarming because that means young people are not learning what happens when anti-Semitism is left unchecked. And regarding uh, the BDS movement and, and the Democratic Party, look, you know, the thing about the boycott, divest, sanction movement against Israel is that it is, like you said, Joel, clearly anti-Semitic in that it falls, you know, very clearly into the IRA definition of anti-Semitism. The, the IRA definition is, is considered kind of the international gold standard of definition. The United States State Department started using it in 2010, adopted it in 2016, and other countries on a daily basis and institutions all around the world are adopting the IRA definition. So it gives everybody in the world, in essence, a unified understanding Understanding everyone knows when speech or action has crossed the line into anti-Semitism. And one thing that the IRA definition does lay out is, um, you know, when it comes to Israel, any kind of legitimate criticism of the state of Israel is legitimate. And certainly I would tell you Israelis criticize Israel more than any other people I know. But what's not legitimate and what crosses into anti-Semitism is when Israel is particularly targeted or held to a standard that no other country is held to. And that's exactly what this boycott, divest, sanction movement of Israel does. It holds Israel to a standard. It targets Israel for boycott. And, uh, and it's a shameful movement. And certainly uh, Democrats in the United States should not be embracing a, a movement that's anti-Semitic. Ellie, one of the Trump administration's notable accomplishments was the advancement of the principal policy, peace through strength. This specific agenda made a difference in the Middle East when President Trump moved the U.S. Embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, Israel's capital. In fact, we were just in Israel at that very moment when then-President-elect Trump had made that announcement on the eve of one of our Jerusalem Leaders Summit event. Ellie, you were actually in Trump's administration when Abraham Accords were being signed. How do you see the Abraham Accords strengthening Israel's ties and the Jewish state's normalization of relations with Gulf states, Bahrain and United Arab Emirates, as well as with the Arab League's other member states, such as Morocco and Sudan. Has this initiative already expanded trade and commerce in the region? 
Natasha, you know, this question, I think, in, in a way, brings us back to the beginning of this conversation, which was about the Iranian threat. And so if there's any silver lining to the Iranian threat, and I think to the mistakes that the Obama administration made originally in lionizing this Iranian regime, it was in drawing Israel and the Sunni Gulf Arab countries closer together because they have this shared common enemy in Iran and Iran's, you know, hegemonic imperialism and regional in instability that it sows. That was one, I would tell you, one of the seeds of this piece. But the other seed of the piece was President Trump and uh, senior advisor Jared Kushner and, and the Trump administration, people who were all outsiders of political circles, outsiders of kind of this foreign policy expert class in Washington, D.C. And they came into office without thinking only inside the box. And they kind of were willing to, to put aside all these efforts that different administrations previous to ours had tried over and again and failed in terms of the Middle East. And part of that was understanding that it was time to stop giving the Palestinians a veto on Middle East peace. So what that means is that in all previous administrations, the overall peace in the Middle East and specifically between Israel and Arab countries was always kind of held hostage to the Israeli-Palestinian issue, quote unquote. And so what the Trump administration did was they looked at the region with fresh eyes and they said, look, you know what? If the Palestinians refuse to come to the negotiating table and they don't want to make peace with Israel, we're going to put that issue aside and we're going to do as much as we can on everything else. And that's been such a tremendously successful approach. And I hope that it's an approach that the Biden administration will continue on. And so with that, we did see the signing of the Abraham Accords. Like you said, this historic normalization, a warm peace is what we called it, between the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, uh, then Sudan, Morocco. And then, like you said, Kosovo started its diplomatic ties with Israel. And so um, the Abraham Accords has has been this historic opportunity in the Middle East where now we're seeing, again, what we termed a warm peace in the sense that it's full normalization between governments, but it's also full normalization between people. And there's been this tremendous people to people warm embrace between these Arab uh, Muslim countries and Israel. And I have to tell you, I myself, uh, my last trip in office, I was in Dubai and Abu Dhabi in December, and I was there for the Hanukkah uh, holiday. And so the Friday night of Hanukkah, there was uh, not one, not two, but there were three synagogue services in Dubai and three Hanukkah candle lighting. I was invited to one of them to speak on Saturday night at the Burj Al Khalifa in Dubai. There was a huge Hanukkah candle lighting ceremony with a huge Jewish music concert going on. And so what I tell people, the Burj Al Khalifa in Dubai is literally like the the Times Square of the Middle East. And so you've got the biggest tourist attraction in Dubai having a very loud Jewish music concert and a very big grand Hanukkah candle lighting ceremony. And that's the new Middle East. It, Natasha and Joel, that is the new Middle East. What I saw that Friday, that Saturday night Hanukkah candle lighting in the Times Square of the Middle East. And that's the hope that I think the children and, and the future generations of Middle Eastern children have is that 
showing the world what peace looks like and that Jews and Arabs, Jews and Muslims, we are ancient peoples who were always living with each other, next to each other. We were friends, we were neighbors, we were business associates. And now we can go back to what we had in our in the heyday of Middle Eastern history. So that's wonderful. We have to be thankful for President Trump's leadership in bringing all sides together and actually acknowledging that Israel and United Arab Emirates were working behind the scenes in combating sheer threats from Iran for years. They were sharing intelligence and both working with Washington, D.C. in counter-terror and anti-proliferation program. It's really great to know that there is a new day in the Middle East. Exactly right. Indeed. Yeah, we certainly appreciate you joining us on America's Roundtable, Ali. We appreciate your insights and clear analysis on these key topics that we discussed today. And this weekend on America's Roundtable, we were truly delighted to have Ali Kohanem, who served as the U.S. Deputy Special Envoy to monitor and combat anti-Semitism at the U.S. Department of State. And Ali is currently a visiting fellow at Independent Women's Forum. Thank you so much for joining us today, Ali. Thank you, Ali. Oh, Natasha and Joel, thank you for having me. This is America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C., an initiative of the U.S.-based think tank International Leaders Summit in partnership with Lancer Broadcasting's 2FM radio stations in Michigan and the Midwest and Supertalk Mississippi Media's 12 radio stations in the South. We thank you for joining us on America's Roundtable. I'm Joel Adinsami, your co-host, joined by Natasha Sardorj, economist and co-founder of the International Leaders Summit, and our distinguished guest host, Governor Phil Bryant. America's Roundtable from Washington, D.C. brings together leading voices from business, government, media, technology, and the public policy arena. Subscribe to America's Roundtable on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, and Fireside. Visit iLeadersSummit.org. iLeadersSummit.org.